Hello, Branch family. Um, today's reading is Jude, uh, verses 17 to 25. If you haven't got a Bible with you, there are Bibles like this on the back table. Please feel free to jump up and grab one. We'd love you to follow along. I'll give you a moment to find it. We're towards the very back. If you've got a Bible from the back, it will be marked. Jude 17 to 25. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Thanks, Sarah. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please guard my mouth and help your people to take on board your word by your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. One of the interesting facts about the Great Wall of China is that you know, it's up to seven metres high and 2,200 kilometres long. And it was only ever penetrated three times by an enemy, but never because it was scaled or torn down. Instead, the guards were bribed each time. And a strong defence depends on trusted people, not just militarily, but also spiritually. If the church is to oppose and defeat false teaching, then we must stand together on the truth of the word and not be subject to being deceived or misguided. It's a dangerous thing to live for Christ in an environment of false teaching and seductive morals. Last week we looked at Jude verses 1 to 16 where Jude warned of God's judgment on false teachers who are leading people astray. Now Jude addresses the matter of how his hearers can persevere in the faith or trust, keep on trusting in the Lord as Graham pointed out despite the false teaching that they're surrounded by. 
and that's verses 17 to 25. So we're going to look at how to persevere in two parts. I'm going to look, first of all, at the prescription for false teaching and then our power supply for persevering. And then I'm going to conclude by briefly considering the question, how do we know when it's time to leave a church? What if the church is just overrun by false teaching? When do you leave a church? So first of all, the prescription for false teaching. He says, remember what the apostles said. Jude begins by urging them. He says, but dear friends, remember... Now, this is the first imperative that Jude has used in the book. He's had lots of descriptive words about the false teachers, but this is an imperative. And he says, remember the words of the apostles. He uses a whole cluster of imperatives now in this second half of the letter. And he's beginning to urge them. He's warned them. And now he's saying, in the light of those warnings, here's what I want you to do. And forgetfulness of teachings and warnings from God in Scripture is a major source of spiritual deterioration and desertion in the church. From the very beginning, Satan has attacked the word of God. Did God say, he said to Eve, Satan is the father of lies and the twister of the truth. So Jude wants them to remember who warned us and remember what they said and why they said it, verses 17 to 19. So it is the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ who warned that false teachers would come. The apostles were Jesus' appointed messengers. And one of the main tests in the early church for when it came to figuring out what should be included in the Bible was what did the apostles teach? Was it a book that was either written by an apostle or a close associate of an apostle? It was through the apostles that Jesus gave us the gospel. So listen to what Paul said to the Galatians about those trying to teach them another gospel. Galatians 1, 6-9. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you another gospel than the one that we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. So Jude wants us to remember not just who warned us, but what the apostles said and why they said it. What did the apostles say? Verse 18. The apostle Paul wanted the Ephesian elders in Acts 20 He warned them that false teachers would creep into churches like wolves in sheep's clothing. He says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. I know that after I leave, savage wolves 
will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. This is what Jude is reminding them of. And why did he say it? Because they are in the gravest danger from this false teaching. From among your own selves, men will arise speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Not after the gospel, but after them. These false teachers thought they had a deeper knowledge of the word of God than the apostles. And their real motivation, though, is to build up their numbers, to have positive reviews for their books on Amazon. They wanted to build their Instagram profile or their TikTok following. They were energetic but misguided super influencers. And their spiritual children are with us today. We need to be so careful about what we take on board into our hearts and believe. So Jude pronounced a devastating verdict on these super apostles, if you like. He said, they are devoid of the spirit. They do not have the spirit. It's literally they are empty of the spirit, devoid of the spirit. So how do we tell the difference between soulless teaching and spirit-filled teaching? The answer is not by a captivating personality, nor by eloquent speech or persuasive writing, but by knowing the word of God. For the word of God is living and active sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. It penetrates and divides joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So listen to Jude's devastating summary of these men, these false teachers and the damage they're causing. He says they're scoffers. They think they know better and they scoff at those who stand firm in the truth. They follow their own ungodly desires, not the word of the Lord. They cause divisions. They lead young believers into error and they split churches. They follow mere natural instincts. They are worldly minded and do not have God's spirit in them. So Jude urges his hearers to build up one another in the faith because the false teachers weren't going to do that, were they? He uses four words which capture the essence of what Jude says next. There's these four words, build, pray, keep, wait. Build, pray, keep, wait. The foundation on which we build is the gospel. and the tru- It's the truth about God's eternal son. That's the foundation of the church. Jesus Christ, who was born, who lived, who suffered, who died, was buried, rose again and ascended to heaven. We're to centre our lives on Jesus Christ, build ourselves up in that faith. I've yet to meet a strong, fruitful Christian who doesn't take seriously Paul's warning to the Corinthians. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. 
You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarrelling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it. Each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So look around this building. What's supporting this building? What's holding it up? A firm, solid, concrete foundation. Christ is that for our faith. Christ is the solid rock, the, the bedrock, the foundation stone of our faith. When we take the message about Christ and speak it to one another and read and study the Bible, we build ourselves up in our faith. And Jude continues by urging them to pray in the Holy Spirit. Power for building up faith doesn't come through arguments with God's enemies. It comes through prayer. God's word and prayer go together, hand in glove. Think about it. The Spirit of God knows the mind of God, and he will guide and direct you through prayer in the Bible to do the will of God. A question arises, what does it mean to pray in the Holy Spirit? That's, that's what he says, pray in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Well, some people think it means praying in tongues. Well, listen to what Ephesians 6.18 says. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Now, if praying in the Spirit only means praying in tongues, we should never not pray in tongues. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. It's not saying pray in tongues. If someone has that gift, that's fair enough. But according to this verse, what Jude is urging us to do is pray under the impulse and direction, the fullness of the Spirit. The Spirit who dwells in us, who unites us to Christ. Unlike false teachers who are devoid of the Spirit and full of their own self-importance, Jude urges us to be full of the Spirit of Christ and pray accordingly. Pray in Christ-centred ways. Pray towards the Lord with joy and gratitude or out of a burden for his glory and his majesty and the upholding of his people. A really helpful thing you can do to pray in the Spirit is turn what you read in the Bible into prayer. For instance, when you read, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll wear, will be added to you. When you read that, turn it into prayer. Say, Lord. Help me to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Help me to be a person who is centred on you, who has the interests of your kingdom at heart, and I trust that you will add to me the other things that I need in life. That's praying in the spirit. That's taking the word of God seriously and turning it into prayer and saying, Lord, help me to live your way. If you yield yourself to God's spirit, you'll be greatly assisted in your prayer life. 
The Holy Spirit will lead you to glory in Jesus Christ instead of in your own capacities or abilities. You'll find joy in depending on God and seeking his answers to prayer. So build yourselves up on the word of God by praying the word. And then Jude continues... I'm still getting used to technology here. Uh, Jude continues... Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the Lord's return. Keep and wait. Notice Jude doesn't say keep yourselves saved, but keep yourselves in God's love. He'd already assured them that they were loved by God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ in verse 1. So Jesus had also urged his disciples to continue in my love. And now Jude urges his hearers to do the same. This is our side of God's covenant of love, if you like. God's side is rock solid, guaranteed. We need to reciprocate. We need to respond and return with the love of God. It's like a good marriage. To be happily married requires more than romantic feelings. There must be mutual concern and trust Those who love the Lord search the Bible to find out what pleases the Lord and they commit to doing those things and that helps keep them in the love of God. To love the Lord is to love what he loves, hate what he hates. We please him by doing what he wants and his spirit brings joy and love into our hearts as we do that. As this happens, our hearts can scan the heavens And we yearn for his returning. We long for him to return. We're building ourselves up in our most holy faith. We're praying in the Holy Spirit. We're keeping ourselves in the love of God. And we're looking for Jesus to return. We have three married daughters. I can assure you that each of them went to a lot of trouble to be ready for her husband on their wedding day. They went to heaps of trouble. Dress, hair, makeup, photographs, bridesmaids, you name it. Everything was done with their husband and their wedding day in mind. Do we live like that? With Christ in mind? To get ourselves ready? Building ourselves up, praying, keeping ourselves in the love of God? So Jude urges them now to be mercifully evangelistic. It's a hazardous thing to try and rescue people out of false teaching. If you get too near the fire, it's going to burn you. If you get too near the garment stained by the flesh, it'll defile you too. He describes three different kinds of people who who he's addressing this to, who he's thinking about. And he wants his readers to know how to act towards each one. So the first lot is be merciful to those who doubt. These are the doubters, the waverers, probably unstable souls. Responsibility uh, that we have towards these people is compassion and love for them. Some of them were like little children who didn't know uh, what was good for them. If you say to them, don't do that, they're just as likely to dig in their toes and do it. So he's saying, remember these people, mercy triumphs over judgment. Be compassionate with them, merciful to those who doubt. 
Then he talks about saving others by snatching them from the fire. These are gullible ones who had departed from Christ and joined the apostates. They are in terrible danger of God's judgment. There, there are times when patient waiting needs to give way to urgent action. Like the angels who took Lot by the hand and dragged him out of Sodom. Taking action. Not just hoping, and, but just coming, grab, judgment's coming, get out of here. There is a time when we need to just be like that with some people. People who are being caught up with wrong teaching. And then the third kind is, he says, to others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. With fear means with caution, lest we become trapped in their moral and doctrinal pollution. So these are the convinced apostates. They're wholehearted followers of the false teachers. They're satanically dangerous and toxic. We, if we care enough, we will go after them. But we need to do it careful that we don't get corrupted, that we don't get stained by the same teaching that they've imbibed before we get engulfed too. So it's like leprosy or COVID or an infectious disease. You want to do something. You can see what they're caught up in, but you know the dangers to yourself. You know that you are fallible as well. So not every Christian is equipped to deal with false teachers and those who've been ensnared by them. It takes a sound knowledge of the word of God and a good dose of spiritual discernment to be effectively evangelistic with these people. In fact, it's much easier to instruct new Christians, keep them away from false teachers in the first place, than it is to try and rescue those who are caught up in it. It's a lot more complicated. So Jude moves now to remind us where the source of our strength to persevere comes from. Jude wants us to know that God will bring us safely through to glory. God will. It's really difficult to persevere if you have doubts about your capacity to stay the distance. I remember early on in my Christian walk, I remember thinking, Lord, this is such a change of lifestyle. I don't know if I can hack the pace. I'm going to church every Sunday. I'm reading my Bible regularly. I'm praying. This is foreign territory. I don't know if I can if I'll be able to keep this up. But what I didn't fully realise is it's the grace of God in me. It's the strength that he supplies. He's the one who builds us up. He's the one who, who will keep us safe to the end of time. It's not our energy. It's not our strength. It's the Lord. So Jude circles back to that wonderful implication of what he'd said back in verse 1 that we are called and loved by God the Father and will be kept for Jesus Christ. So here Jude is talking about our daily walk, our walk with the Lord and the danger of stumbling or going astray. And who among us doesn't stumble or, or go astray at some point? This is why knowing the gospel is so important for us. What is that gospel? 
Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Christ died for our sins and rose again, that we might be ransomed, healed, restored and forgiven. So when we sin, we confess it. And we know from 1 John 1, 9 that we will receive God's cleansing and forgiveness on the basis of the cross. And if we persist in disobedience, we can expect that God will chastise us. He disciplines those he loves. So he, but he will never permit us to, to be lost or fall away completely. He's committed to keeping us for Jesus Christ like a bride. Jesus is committed to presenting the church as a bride beautifully adorned for her husband. Wow. That's, that's encouraging. The grand design of salvation is that God may be glorified for all eternity through preserving his church safely for glory. What a joy. What an encouragement. Today there are spots and blemishes in the church. They're in me, they're in you, in all of us. But on that last day, we will be blameless. Satan will find nothing to accuse us on that last day, on the day of judgment. We, the bride, will be arrayed in pure, white righteousness of Christ to the glory of God. And the Lord will not allow anything to stop it coming to pass. So a gospel that has lost its saltiness is no good for anything, is it? Only to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So Jude is quite specific about what we should praise God for. We praise him for being our God and saviour. He's our God and our saviour. Jews' doxology is one of the most brilliant notes of praise for the gospel in all of the Bible. It reminds us that our great God and Saviour is glorious and majestic. Glorious. Majestic. What's that mean? Glory is God's splendour as the radiance of light, the brilliant display of all that he is, the only true God. And all that he does, all his works done in righteousness. This is what the apostles experienced on the Mount of Transfiguration when they saw Jesus transfigured before them in brilliance and glory and they, they had to hide from the light. That's what God's glory is. And his majesty means greatness, magnificence, his exalted, unique position as the Lord of all. He's the majestic king of glory, as the Psalms remind us. And he's full of power and authority. Power refers to God's ability to carry out his plans and will. He can do all he's promised to do. He's all powerful. We can rely on him. And authority refers to God's absolute right to use his divine power. He has the power and he has the right to use it. It's legitimate power. So it's power and authority. And he comes to us through Jesus Christ forevermore. God's glory, majesty, power and authority come to us through Christ. It's 
It's grace and truth come to us through Jesus Christ. He's full of God's grace, full of God's truth. So Christ is the one who brings us back to God, our Saviour. And our praises are to be directed through Christ to God, our Saviour. And we will find that that was his plan in the past. It was his plan before all the ages. It's his plan now. And it's his plan forevermore into the future. Now, with a God like this on our side, we don't have to stumble and fall away or through falsehood. By the grace of God, we can grow up to the full measure of the stature of Christ. He's outlined everything we need for life and for godliness. It's been given to us in Christ Jesus and recorded in the word. So to God be the glory, great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son. And all God's people say, Amen. Listen to this again, it's worth memorising. To the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. So what have we seen in this little book of Jude? Well, like us, Jude lived in an age that preferred toleration to truth viewed all religions as equally valid. But when teachers of the church in the church started to corrupt the gospel, he called his readers to contend for the faith, the faith once for all given to the church. And Jude does that in several ways. Verses 5 to 16 that we looked at last week by exposing the danger, the fruitlessness and the final destiny of these false teachers. Today, he urges God's people to remember the teachings and warnings of the apostles and keep growing in their faith and its expression. He calls us to lose no opportunity to correct and evangelise doubters and, and false teachers, be mercifully evangelistic, and he reminds us of the source of our strength to persevere, the only God our Saviour. The question now is, what do we do with all this? Well, let's make sure we build ourselves up in our most holy faith. Do you do that? If you don't, don't be surprised if you become weak. Let's make every effort to keep ourselves in God's love and wait patiently for Jesus' return. If you're not proactive in doing that, don't be surprised if your love grows cold. Let's extend to others the mercy we've received from God and point them to Jesus Christ. Share the faith. Be mercifully evangelistic. But be cautious so that you don't take on board the error of others. Are we prepared to let the word of the Lord radically shape our lives? It must has to. Will you and I reach out with the good news to those who are trapped, snared and dying in sin or false teaching? It's one thing to know about the gospel. It's quite another thing to live for God and the gospel.
Please think about this. Today there are many true believers who don't receive faithful teaching. They don't week by week hear the gospel. They're not taught that the Bible is God's word and reliable and a guide for their life. The foundations of true Christian grace are being eroded and corrupted underneath them. So how do we know when it's time to leave a church? In Jude's day, there weren't other churches for a concerned Christian to go to. There's probably only one gospel church in each town, maybe not in every town. Certainly in the early days, hardly anywhere. So if, if you withdrew from that fellowship, where would you go to? Probably just your home, your family. So this raises the important question for us. How do we know when it's time to leave a church? The time, time now doesn't allow me to go into great detail on this. But being guided by the book of Jude, I, I just want to give you some advice. Don't be too quick to leave your church. Jude tells us to build ourselves up in the Lord and be mercifully evangelistic rather than abandon ship. There are things that can be done. Don't rush to leave a church. And make sure that you really do understand what's being taught and practised in the church. If you haven't, uh, make sure you haven't just got half the story or are basing your information on gossip and innuendo or prejudice. Think about, is my concern about the essence of the faith, like Jude? These false teachers were eroding the gospel itself. Is damnable heresy being preached? Are ungodly practices promoted? There are churches here in Australia that week by week, Sunday by Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is denied. The triune God is not acknowledged and worshipped. The virgin birth is discredited. People's faith is undermined. We need to ask ourselves, is my concern about the essence of the faith? Or is my concern more about the well-being of the church? Are they just not teaching well or acting wisely? What level of hurt or harm is being caused to myself and others by this? And then am I being upset over something of relative indifference? Is it something that's really just a disagreement or misunderstanding that ought to be resolved and forgiven and buried and you carried on, carry on? When I was a young pastor, in fact, I was a student pastor, still uh, about to go to Bible college, and I was sent out to a little country church called Texas, and it was on the border of Queensland and New South Wales. Literally, the town straddled the border. Part of the, the town was in Queensland, part of the town was in New South Wales. 
and it's only a small town between Warwick and, and Gundawindi, in, heading west in the southern Darling Downs. And I went to that church, and not long after I arrived, a just young, fresh-faced student pastor, there was a church fair, and uh, I didn't have anything to do with it. It, it, it had already been organised. I had this annual fair or fete, and a lady came up to me, and she presented to me some things that she'd cooked, and I thanked her for it, and then unfolded this story. And she said, uh, I don't go to this church. In fact, I don't go to any church. But I used to be a member of this church. And I said, oh, what happened? And she said, well, at this fate, 19 years ago, I was about to take over from another lady on the stall at lunchtime. And the other lady insisted on counting the money before I went, before she went away and had her lunch. It's like she didn't trust me. And I said, oh, that's, did you talk to her about it? She said, no, I didn't need to. She just didn't trust me. And who did she think I was? And I've never been back since. And I said to her, can you go and talk to this lady? She said, no, she died years ago. And I thought, Is this a ground for leaving the church? Do you leave a church over something like that because someone counted the money? This lady might have been excited about all the money that was coming in. She just wanted to count it. But this other lady took it to heart as a personal offence and left. So ask the Lord, can I stay and grow here by your grace? Is this a church where I can put my roots down, the gospel's being taught, it's not perfect, but can I grow in the knowledge of Christ here? That'll be a good guide for you. You may be surprised how the Lord uses differences to sanctify you and mature you in your faith. You'll never find a perfect church. But if you must leave... Have you addressed your concerns to the church leadership? Don't leave without doing this. And if and when you do go, go graciously. Don't make a song and dance about it. And only if your conscience is bound by scripture, that you're acting according to the word of the Lord, You're persuaded by God that there's no other alternative for you, no other way forward for you or your family. This is the church of Jesus Christ we're talking about. That's what Jude is at pains to stress. The church, the glorious body of Christ, where there's false teaching, it defiles that bride spots and wrinkles and blemishes. Let's be committed to serving the Lord, knowing the gospel, reaching out with the love of Christ, and knowing when it's time to move on if that ever arises. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Please help us to remember the words of your holy apostles. 
that we may be doers of your word and not forgetful hearers. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.